Hello, welcome to the Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. Today we're going to talk a little bit about the Derpies of 2019. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? Well, it's pretty simple. On this podcast, we like to talk about games. Uh, the Derpies are our awards show at the end of every year. The rules to the Derpies are very simple. Uh, it is one of us creates a category and awards something for the category that we have created, and then the other person has to then match the category as best uh, they can, given the circumstances. It's very fun and very mean. You don't take this too seriously, but also take it seriously. I don't know what else to say. That's the derpies. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we do lead off with our games of the year, right? Instead of saving mm-hmm. for the end like most other places, we, we just do it on the top. Last year, we did a kind of tripartite game of the year, game of sports of the year, game as art of the year, and game as game of the year, basically kind of like median. Um, do you still want to do that this year, buddy? Uh, uh, you know, I guess. I guess so. Yeah, all right. Let's keep it rolling then. Uh, what order do you want to do them in? Uh, what, do we, what was the order you just gave? Game as sport? Of yeah, the game year? as sport of the year. Okay. Uh, do you have an answer? Uh, yeah, okay. So my game as sport of the year, it should be very obvious for people who have been paying attention has been hearthstone um i don't really have a good answer or a good way of explaining how or why hearthstone has kind of taken over as my sort of like default game as sport but when i am looking for that kind of like competitive edge it is hearthstone that i gravitate towards um and it's hearthstone that i follow most closely now uh esports even as we got back into league of legends earlier this year um and we kind of slowly reintegrated ourselves into some of those older, more competitive versions of the games uh, of our past. Uh, I never got back into any of the esports scenes surrounding them, right? Like, I wasn't really paying much attention to League Esports when we were getting back into League Esports, for it, or when we were getting back into League Gameplay, for instance. But Hearthstone has been very different for me. Um, specifically... I've just been paying more attention to it, and the more that you pay attention to it, the easier and easier it becomes to sort of, like, sink into sort of the esports quagmire. It was a very easy thing for me, for instance, during the Grandmaster seasons, um, there were two seasons this year, uh, to just sort of have it up in the background while I'm doing work. And I'll be sitting, and I'll be, you know, going through stuff and playing this or that or whatever, um, watching, you know, Control Warrior mirrors or whatever the case may be at the time. Uh, I don't know that that's much of a recommendation, uh, but it is just sort of like a descriptor of truth. If I reevaluate myself and the year that I've had, uh, the game that I have connected to most on a competitive level has been Hearthstone. So there you have it, folks. Hearthstone Esports. Uh, yeah. Um, so for me... Um, I'm going to say that my game as sport of the year is Samurai Showdown, which came out in June. Um, it's a fighting game. Uh, it's relatively slow. It focuses on kind of fundamentals and slower, more heavy attacks that kind of um, make a big impact and can chunk a large amount of your health. And I found that to be a lot more compelling than, say, Hyperfighter, which is another uh, very popular genre that I just could never get wrap my head around, um, especially for, like, what is essentially like uh, an aging 
demographic, uh, to, to put it in those terms. Like, I, I think it just fits in better with, like, what I'm capable of processing right now. And while I didn't, you know, ever get, like, super competitive with it, I, I still enjoyed it a lot. Um, I feel like if maybe I had a more local team, I was stuck with it more. Um, unfortunately, um, it doesn't have great net code um, uh, just because, like, th- there's this, there's actually this is tangential, but there's a, a great video by a channel called hold back to block about, um, uh, about uh, rollback, which is kind of the standard for, uh, or the gold standard for, for fighting game net code, but it doesn't get used um, in Japan a lot because of infrastructure things. That's a topic for, for a different episode, but that aside, Samurai Shodan was excellent um, as, as a game itself. And uh, so it wins my game as sport of the year. Um, uh, as is tradition, I will start off the next category, which is game as art of the year. Um, and I'm going to give this to, uh, probably unsurprisingly death stranding. Um, it is a super interesting game. Um, it's got really excellent music. It's got really, uh, kind of cool explorations of kind of themes. Um, I'm going to put an asterisk on this one though. I haven't finished it yet. Um, and I guess suppose that there is a, 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 uh, uh, a world in which I retract this in a couple of months or a month, whenever I manage to finish it. Um, but it's uh, but so far it's been very good. Um, strangely compelling, considering um, that the core mechanic is basically like the amount of complexity you can put into like walking in a line. Um, uh, compelling little aspects. It, it manages. It, it, I think that there's um, a tendency in some of these artsy games to kind of eschew gameplay. Um, but both this and uh, and last year's winner for me, which is uh, uh, Return of the Oberdin, managed to kind of artfully incorporate mechanics elements without kind of making it uh, a, like about the sport so much. So uh, uh, Death Stranding gets a big thumbs up from me for that. Okay, very cool, very cool. Um, my game as art is actually like pretty hard. I've spent a lot more time this year uh, playing different games than I have in the past, just because of the nature of you know uh, my my job changing and uh, and starting my work at Occupara Games. But I think that the the game that I found most artistically sort of fulfilling is kind of like the wrong word, but like interesting, right? Like the one that I was kind of like engaging with on that level is probably. Uh, Etherborn, which I uh, I played uh, for a bit on stream and then off stream. Uh, Etherborn is a puzzle game from a Spanish game developer, and uh, it's all about sort of like manipulating gravity and where sort of up and down is relative to you among these sort of like giant puzzle piece uh, uh, levels. And like, there's just something to that aesthetic that I found to be weirdly, you know, moving in like a museum sense, right? Like when you go and walk into the MoMA, but you don't have an art history degree. So you don't even really understand like on a, on an intellectual level necessarily kind of what's going on, but on a sort of like base or subconscious emotive level, it is just sort of compelling and engaging on just itself, if that makes sense. Um, and so, yeah, so I would have to definitely give it to Etherborn for uh you know i just taking my breath away maybe is sort of the right way to put it that's it's it's very interesting um i do think we should probably disclose that your company published that game right 
So uh, we did not publish Etherborn. Oh, okay. Uh, we are we were we are friends with the developers. Um, ah, okay. And they gave us a key to. So I got so I, I okay. To put it this way, I got my Etherborn key for free as part of a promotion. They wanted people streaming on the first day. We were streaming on the official channel, so I definitely received the product for free. Uh, that disclosure is very important. But no, we did not publish the game. Okay, excellent. Um, well, it's, uh, so what's your game as, like, like median game of the year, game as game of the year, however we want to put this, like, middle category? Boy, that one is also uh, a little bit tough. I actually sort of want to give it to uh, a game that I played earlier this year, just as a, um, okay, so... Sometimes an experience I'll have with a game sort of like looks like this, where it presents complex and interesting systems that are tangled like a like a like a knot. Do you know what I mean? But like, imagine a hundred different shoelaces all tangled together in a knot, and essentially the game just wants you to untangle the shoelaces slowly over time. That is the description of a game that I played earlier this year that I just really, really had a great time with called Anno 2205. Uh, it is a city builder game where you are building cities in sort of different uh, environments. You're building cities sort of on a like a coastal environment in the tundra, um, in the Arctic and on the moon. And each of those have their own sort of like resources and economy, but you need to start trading between them. And you have like rival opponents who are also like taking those resources and you sort of like kind of sort of fight them, but like not in like real military things. You kind of go to like this instance map and you have like a bunch of ships running around. But anyway, I just had a really amazing time playing this game. Um, and it's weird that a game that I basically never talked about is going to sort of, like, win this award. But as I'm looking through my, you know, like, as I'm looking through my history, like, my library, where are all the different games that I played this year, it just immediately jumped out on me. I just looked at it and I said, oh, my God, Anno 2205, what an awesome time I had playing uh, playing that game. So, there it is. Uh, that's my That's my answer. Um, All right. Um, and on my side, um, I'm going to give it to Devil May Cry 5. Um, really? Yeah, I love that I game. I was so sure it's going to be Destiny. Um, so uh, hold on for that one. Um, Fair enough. So, so uh, Devil May Cry 5 just kind of like oozes style. Um, I found the mechanics to be super fun. Um, it's a game that I've wanted to go back and play more with, but I just haven't had, had the, uh, the the time. Um, which we'll get into in a bit, um, but uh, but it it's like the the story isn't crazy good or anything, but it's super entertaining. It's it's like memeable in kind of like a prequel memes way, but in a way that's like not like wasn't taking itself super seriously in the first place. So it's just like super enjoyable, just how nuts like. Uh, you know, like Dante being kind of like woohoo pizza time. Like, th there's a running joke of the community that like Dante doesn't understand what sex is, um, type of deal, and just like tons of jokes around that. Like all the hype surrounding the release. Um, like I said, the uh, the music was super good. I still listen to Devil Trigger, um, like three or four times a month, probably at this point. It's not in, like heavy rotation anymore, but it's 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 such a dumb song, but so so fun. 
Um, and uh, just all the elements really kind of came together. Um, the biggest disappointment out of that game is that we didn't get like a Virgil DLC or a Ladies Night DLC, which is what everybody thought was going to happen. But it was still uh, it was st- it's still a lot of fun. Um, highly recommend it. Uh, highly recommend it just to kind of go through and like like derp around and like beat up demons. It's it's it's, it's a ton of fun. Um, uh, but uh, to kind of wrap around to your point, buddy, I'm gonna introduce. Uh, a category that might be on that, that might kind of go on going, but uh, um, I'm going to say games as service of the year as our first impromptu category. Okay, all um, right, I, I see, I see where you're going with this, and that is going to go to Destiny. Um, uh, thinking back, like I like normally, you know, I've got a cup, a handful of of categories that I've got picked out already. I was having a little bit of trouble this year and I realized and I was thinking like what did I what did I play this year and I realized that I was really dominated by games as a service uh, both this and MTG Arena which is kind of fallen by the wayside for me um for the moment I was like so but I, I kind of started playing Destiny again with uh Shadow Keep in October what was I doing before that then I realized that I had been playing it in the beginning of the year for Season of the Drifter up until like March so like it kind of bookended my year and, uh, well, I took a break for Season of Opulence. It's not because I didn't think the game was good. I just kind of wanted to do other things. Um, it's because it's, like, really compelling MMO gameplay loop combined with some uh, time-giddy things that are, like, they don't feel bad in the same way that, like, games of this nature can kind of get. But it's like, oh, there's some limited time rewards, but it's not like the end of the world if you don't get them. I think the game has some monetization issues there's like a, f- a few too many pinpricks right like there's microtransactions and there's the season pass and there's um you know uh you have to pay for expansions and it's it's verging on a little bit and honestly i think at some point they should just do a subscription but you know um it was still it still has taken up the 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 bulk of my time in in a way that i found very enjoyable despite missteps um and i'm excited to see uh to, to see where it goes, especially now that they're out from under Activision, um, which, uh, according to the reporting we've seen, it was kind of a yoke around their their creativity and their and their, and their stuff. So um, maybe things won't get better, but maybe. But I'm I'm excited for the possibilities and everything. This the post Activision content has been good, but not astounding so far. So I'm excited to see what's what's going forward. Okay, very cool. I get that. Um, this is actually a really tough one uh, for me, and I'm not even really sure how much it counts, but I think my games as service game goes to Total War Warhammer 2. It's weird because, like, it's not a game as a service in, in the traditional sense, right? Like, it's not something that I play constantly, but it has been updating at about the same rate that you would expect a games as service game to update about once every three months total war warhammer 2 puts out a piece of fresh uh dlc content the content that we've gotten over the past year for total war um has been honestly like pretty exemplary like i talked a lot about how how much fun i had playing the prophet and the warlock uh with um uh Ikit Claw changing some of the aspects of how Skaven play, for instance. And even the you know, like the the Prophet of Sotek run, uh the Tehenwan run, was also like a super engaging way to play the game. But now that I've gotten back into it with both the Shadow and the Blade and the Hunter and the Beast DLC, um the Hunter and the Beast introducing the Empire
prior to the to the uh, the the uh, which is a total war warhammer one faction to the factions of uh, DLC lords has just been like really cool and really interesting. Um, even though it hasn't held my attention in the same way that you might expect a games as service game to uh, to do so, when it does, it basically consumes me and all of my time. I'm just sitting and playing Total War Warhammer. Over the last two weeks, I have raised my... I mean, I'm sure it'll like tell me if I look somewhere on this, on this page on my Steam account. But I have raised my playtime to 642 hours. I believe last week we were talking about how it, I hadn't cracked 600 hours yet. So that means that I have played this game for 42 plus hours over the past week. Now, granted, it was the holidays, you know, all this other stuff. I had a lot more free time than normal or whatever. But just, like, the ability of Total War Warhammer 2 to captivate me and to uh, uh, demand my attention edges it out over World of Warcraft, which, even though I think World of Warcraft is a great game and I play it a lot more like uh, a game, like games as a service, um, it uh, it just has been outclassed by Warhammer for me. So, yeah, there we go. That's yeah. the... That, that's, that's a big upset right there. Yeah, that is a pretty big upset, <laughs> to be honest. Um, cool. Well, okay. So I want to get a little bit away from games, and uh, and I want to make this I want to make this nice and easy, uh, nice and simple for you. Um, I want to open up this category to be the best movie you saw in 2019 for the first time, which could include both new movies or movies that you know you'd never seen prior to to this year uh not that that includes my uh not that that includes my winner of this particular debris congratulations quentin tarantino you nailed it once upon a time in hollywood is my the movie that i saw this year that i thought was uh that i thought was the best and most interesting and kind of uh you know uh most compelling. I, I don't think that 2019 has been especially good year for movies. Uh, a lot of the superhero stuff I found to be pretty lackluster. You know, like I didn't like Captain Marvel. Adventures Endgame kind of just like came and went. Uh, the other big franchise fair, you know, like was what it was. I had fun with Godzilla, King of the Monsters, but like it wasn't anything groundbreaking. Um, but I think that there's just like something to the satisfaction that I had watching uh, the... Uh, the new Quentin Tarantino movie about the the history of Hollywood and Charles Manson uh, and Sharon Tate in a way that just like I really feel I really feel sort of his angst and perspective looking at the history of Hollywood that like kind of we have and that feeling of being transported into his perspective and into that just sort of world. Uh, really, I think was the kind of the height of art and drama for me uh, this year when it comes to film making. Yeah, so that's my that's my that's my next category. What's what's your answer, Mango? Uh, so so this is a little bit tough, but I I think for any movie that I saw for the first time this year, it's got to go to Millennium Actress, um, which is a Satoshi Kon film uh, from a. A while ago, I think ago actually, but it was just so beautifully done, and like the visual imagery was 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 kind of stunning, um, and you know the story was was so heartwarming, and and it was it was a relatively happy story, unlike say uh, his kind of 
uh, what's, the, what's the word I want to use? His kind of partner piece for that, which was um, Perfect Blue, um, which as a duology, they kind of like show like the negative and the positive sides of fandom, um, which, you know, is kind of prescient for uh, the, the the current day in, in, a, in a way. But it's, they're just really well done films, both of them. But like I said, I, th- I thought uh, Millennium Actress was um, – was was the more enjoyable of the two um like i said gorgeous uh absolutely worth worth a watch but i do want to give a shout out to a movie that did come out this year that i very much enjoyed which was uh, uh motherless brooklyn um i didn't think it was the greatest movie i've ever seen but it was super interesting um i thought it was uh uh super uh in- engaging um I don't know if I'd, I'd call it high art or anything, but, you know, um, kind of gumshoe detective work uh, featuring uh, what is clearly supposed to be like an at- or uh, mentally challenged uh, Ed Norton. It's not really mentally challenged, like uh, maybe has like uh, ticks uh, of some sort, whatever. It's a very interesting movie. I uh, highly recommend you see that one as well. Um, but yeah, that's like the picks going to Millennium Actress, but with a special shout out to Motherless Brooklyn. Do you get the feeling that this was a good year for for movies? Like, how, it was twenty nineteen? Did it have some bangers? It had some interesting movies, right? Like, um, I like uh, th- there was that tweet that I uh, that that I retweeted a while ago. It was like the state of film criticism is either like jacking off the latest A twenty four film. Or you know, love and death about trans- uh, what it means about Transformers Seven, yeah. um, and <laughs> it's I very accurate. <laughs> and and I, I you know I saw I saw the Lighthouse and I saw this week actually Uncut Gems, both of which oh, yeah. I didn't think were amazing, but I thought they were very interesting pieces and uh, I think worth a watch. Um, obviously, the movie you pointed out, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, was also very excellent. I thought it was a pretty good year for movies. I don't know if it's like the best year or anything. And oh man, still... did uh, oh god, uh, did Bad Times at the El Royale come out this year or was that last year? I think that was last year. I don't even remember. Oh yeah, it was a 2018 movie. Okay, cool, 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 cool. Yeah, because uh, I, I, I think of those as being very similar. But yeah, yeah, I, I need to go back and watch um, some movies that I haven't just haven't had the chance to like. Uh, um, I keep seeing memes from Marriage Story. Um, Adam Driver is obviously coming to his own uh, pretty well this uh, this year. Um, you know, Rise of Skywalker, notwithstanding. Um, but he was, you know, a good part of Rise of Skywalker. So I, de- I definitely want to like uh, jump in and see some of more of his stuff. So th- this 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 is another thing that might get updated uh, as time goes on. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, part of me actually sort of wants to sort of um, like, so for instance, two movies that I also really loved this year were Dolomite is my name and rocket man. Um, and like, part of me doesn't like, I, I like those movies a lot and I think that they're good, but they're, I, I, I have a weird sort of like identity crisis about it. Cause like they are sort of like B tier movies and they don't aspire to be more than that. Right. Like rocket yeah. man is just a musical biopic and it makes the biopic musical, which I think is great. Um, and it's like all of a sudden turns all of the hacky genre bullshit of a biopic and makes it wonderful because it actually is a big musical, like a Broadway, you know, with, you know, Broadway dancing and all that other kind of stuff. I thought that that was like a really great turn, but it's almost sort of like saying, you know, it's the best movie among a, a remedial class of movies, right? They are simpler stories that don't have the same kind of ambitions. And, uh, 
if we've been podcasting about anything uh, for a long time, I am a person that responds well to those sorts of ambitions. So this is the year that has really made me sort of almost like question that philosophy in a way, because like in a lot of ways, the best movies I saw were smaller, quieter, more humble stories that are just like, listen, there's this weird guy and he made these Dolomite movies and it's just funny. Like, let's, let's, let's give it a watch, you know? Um, and I want more than that. I want something more than that typically. Uh, but maybe I shouldn't. I don't know. That's uh, that's yeah. movies in 2019. What's the next category? Yeah. Well, right right before we move on to that, I do want to say, like, just just to jump off of your point, I like I respond really well to like big kind of epic movies, right? Like that. I think we haven't seen a lot in in, in a in a while. Actually, maybe I'll just turn this into a category. Um, I'm gonna call it most epic movie of uh of of 2019. Um, and just in kind of that way that's like, you know, maybe it's not the best movie, but it kind of has like these, th- these big, bigger themes that just like kind of feel expansive. The, the way I think about this is like, um, like, uh, the matrix, right? The matrix trilogy feels like it's about something. It, it, it's about like bigger things, right? Like, um, even movies that like are like miss the mark, right? Like, like a lot of the Wachowski films feel this way. Like, I don't think Jupiter, Jupiter ascending is a good film in, in uh anyway but it kind of has that big feel to it um uh and the movie that kind of brought that up for me this year a lot was at astra i think it was a great movie but like it felt like epic in scope and i really appreciated it for that and for its imagery and for its soundscapes um even if i didn't think it was the most compelling movie that i saw man that is a really tough one for me to answer I think okay. So here's 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 my here's my sort of pitch. I saw uh, Midsummer. Midsummer is a movie that I saw and I thought it was so much better than I would end up thinking it is now. And the thing that killed it for me was reading. Uh, I think Ari Aster is the director. Reading his like interviews, like from the press tour and like people talking about it, because. I thought Midsummer, Midsummer was an incredibly aspirational movie that had a lot of stuff on its mind and it was willing to kind of like talk about it and sort of center some of that stuff as part of its drama. But it was also a little bit muddy and and, and confused. And then you hear Ari Aster talk about it in... I'm not even going to say it because it just like really ruined the movie for me in these very simplistic terms. Let me put it that way. Um and uh and i've come down but i have to say you know like one of the things that i found really moving about uh, about midsummer is that like it is unflinching in the face of psychological dread which is not something you typically get out of a horror movie like this one right in the very in the very opening scene of midsummer um the main character's sister commits suicide by piping carbon monoxide from the cars into her parents' bedroom while they're sleeping so that they suffocate and die. Uh, but she also duct tapes one, like a, a hose from one of the cars to her own mouth. And it is such a haunting 
image. And it gets referenced a bunch in the movie. Like, it is constantly, like, showing up in the background of shots. Um, or, like, sort of, uh, like, there's one shot where it's a big wide shot. And in the background of the trees, you can actually see her face for, you know, like, a couple of seconds. It's sort of like a blink and you'll miss it sort of thing. And, like, boy, that image really has stuck with me when it comes to movies in 2019. And I feel like Midsummer really, like, earns that spot. Uh, even if, you know, Ari Aster really ruined his own film by talking about it. <laughs> Fair okay. enough. Uh, well, it's your category. Now, yeah. we, got, we got to get to the bad stuff, Mango. Okay, so here's... here here. I, I expect there to be two answers to this category, and they're going to be very explicit and straightforward. I'm going to call this one the the ruiner category because it just ruins its own thing uh i saw somebody on twitter earlier describe uh the game of thrones season finale as a destination so bad it ruins the journey and i could not agree more with that description the season finale of game of thrones just ruined Game of Thrones for me. We talked about it, you know, we went through all, you know, like all of the different Game of Thrones content that had come out. I was incredibly interested. I was incredibly hyped for it. And all of those hopes were for nothing and they were dashed and I hate it. And so that's it. The Game of Thrones season eight is is the ru- is the is the ruiner for 2019 what's your what's your ruiner so i actually have i have a biggest disappointment as game of thrones but yes that was that's gonna be um that, that's gonna be mine too right like and i i, I got to experience it compressed because like i watched the whole thing in like a fucking month that's um, true to be honest i mean i don't think you quite understand like the level of just like oh my god, that comes with investing years of your life in the show, right? Like, having watched it since it was, you know, coming out when we were in college. Yeah, that's when I started watching yeah. Game of Thrones. Uh, but yes, getting the getting the fucking, like, hypercharged, no, no, cha- like, no chaser, just straight, all in the veins, bad version. That's gotta suck. Yeah, so so I, I think the, the other obvious answer to this is, of course, Rise of Skywalker. Um... But I do want to say that, like, I think this is interesting because um, I listened to Hello Internet's breakdown of it. Um, it was interesting because, like, they also disliked the film, but for very different reasons than we did. Um, and, like, it just kind of, like, solidifies, like, you know, if you try and please everybody, you're going to end up pleasing no one type of stuff. Can I, can I ask what the, the reasons that they didn't like it? Um, I, I – so – Oh, like, maybe they don't like uh, – I've seen people kind of come at it from the other end of The Last Jedi where, like – you know, I'm someone who loves The Last Jedi, and so that's kind of, like, the anchor point for a lot of my opinion. And so when there – I see when people who also didn't like The Rise of Skywalker but are Last Jedi haters, they tend to come from a different point of view. Yeah, so, so that was that was basically it. But um, they, they liked The Force Awakens, and, and they, they disliked The Last Jedi but not in kind of, like, the, you know, say, Mauler view of, of disliking The Last Jedi. But, yeah, like – like essentially, like they just disliked it for like so, some of the same reasons, but they 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 liked it for or they they disliked it for like a different set of reasons that I didn't entirely agree with. But the the main point I wanted to bring up with this is that, um, uh, in terms of as as the ruiner, right? Like 
there is kind of one real arc in Game of Thrones, and by screwing up the ending, you kind of invalidate the whole the whole thing, right? Um, even though the, I think this does do some backwards damage to the original trilogy, um, because you know ultimately Palpatine survives and whatever. Spoilers for Rise of Skywalker. Who cares? Um, I think that it is easier to isolate, say, the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy, um, and their arcs from the sequel trilogy than it is to kind of isolate season eight from the rest of game of thrones and for that reason i think that oh i, I see that yeah yeah the end of season that the end of game of thrones is the bigger ruiner um uh even if i think on balance they're kind of somewhere in terms of like lack of quality if that makes sense um uh but yeah um that's my my answer for that um so this is a, this is a weird category a little bit lighter um, game I really want to get into, but can't because it's so it, it's so insurmountable. That's going to be Final Fantasy fourteen for me. Um, <laughs> I have That's I have funny. heard from so many people that Shadowbringers is the greatest MMO expansion, like you know, up there with with uh, with um, the, why can't I think of it off the top of my uh, Wrath Wrath of the Lich King, right? Like maybe even surpasses it. And it's super compelling. I was like, awesome! I'm going to get into this game. This is my third attempt to get into Final Fantasy IV. My fir- third, like, real strong attempt. And I made it th- made it all the way through the base game. And I still haven't hit Heavensward content. And I gave up, or like, maybe not forever. But, like, I, I, I just kind of put it down and didn't didn't go back to it. Um, and it was just such, a, like, it's such a beautiful game. The mechanics are pretty solid. And I just can't get through that base content. In, in it's keeping me from the end game, which is, you know, as as everybody knows, that's where the real end game is played, um, and it, it's just it's just impossible. <laughs> so um, and maybe not impossible, but it's like it's 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 so dense, and so I, I I want I want I want it I want to be able to enjoy this thing that everybody says is so great, but I, I just can't get through it. I can't force myself through it, um, and so that's that's uh, that's the 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 kind of uh, backhanded compliment award for me for uh, yeah I, I guess the backhanded compliment award for me would go to Destiny Two. Um, I I mean I have I played Destiny Two for you know like we got to the end game all together when it first hit Battle.net uh, when it first hit PC when it came out um, and uh, and you know I didn't ha- I didn't have a great time but I didn't have a terrible time it was fine but ever since the move to Steam where I actually thought it would be more accessible and like basically everybody in the friend group transitioned into it and I was like okay well. A rising tide will raise all boats here. I'm sure I'll get into Destiny 2. But just for some odd, weird reason, I couldn't... I just can't... I just can't with, with Destiny 2. Um, I don't... I honestly just have no idea what it is. I, I, I actually do have a sort of philosophy on what it is. We could do maybe like a podcast episode on this. I saw someone earlier in, on the Hearthstone subreddit who made a post... And he was making a post that was describing what was very bad about Hearthstone in his opinion. But he ended up sort of engendering a discussion where everyone was like, no, that's why we like Hearthstone. His post basically said, Blizzard decided to start focusing on making you, or allowing you to do broken shit instead of allowing you to do, like, fair competitive stuff. And so the game has just become the person who draws their their best cards first right um 
But then in the comments, everybody was like, yes, this is what I like about Hearthstone. I like feeling powerful. I like that I get a, a legendary that does something that's strong and that I can use it and it can do its strong thing. And that feels good. And in a certain sense, I think that's sort of how I've approached certain games and fallen away from other games. Um, like games that are that feel too fair just kind of like aren't incredibly engaging to me. Um, like, you know, we, we picked up League and we got back into uh, and we got back into League, um, for instance. But like, I can't help but feel like I have more fun playing HOTS where the characters are bigger and crazier and can do kind of like more powerful stuff just because like the game is less worried about like fair and total balance in total um and i feel like that might be might be the bedrock of what of what kind of keeps destiny out of reach for me i've always talked about wanting more of sort of like an rpg ass like aspect to destiny destiny is very defined by its guns and its gunplay and that's fair enough um but uh but i think i just i don't know maybe just, i just destiny is not the game for me i just can't make it work i don't know why that's my that's my award for the backhanded compliment uh of 2019 uh okay this one's very simple uh best tv season of tv series of tv whatever of 2019 uh this one is like incredibly hard for me to do and i have an answer that like breaks my heart but the real answer for me is actually mindhunter season two uh mindhunter season one i think came out in 2017 and was my tv season of the year there uh, i don't think it's the best show on television i think that's better call Saul, but better call Saul did not air a season this year um and it was uh it, it just continues to be the most complex and complicated, both acting and storytelling, uh, that has come from sort of like the golden age of television that I have seen. Like, I think there is a very real shot that Mindhunter will end up being like the best show or like my favorite show of all time, uh, this year, which would be honestly like crazy. Um, but, uh, I don't know. It's just so good and it's so compelling and the character work is just like oh my god. And um I it's funny that it's just flown so deeply under under the radar. Um anyway, that is my that's my nomination for the best TV of the year. What uh, what's your what's your take? Uh so this is going to be tough cuz I I don't watch a lot of television. Um I'm I'm just kind of thinking about it and i think the only television i really watched this year was was game of was thrones, thrones and watchmen, and, and watchmen yeah <laughs> um neither of which I'm, I'm crazy about i'm i'm rapidly thinking think if i could if i can come up with like a easily plugged like inable answer from early in the year maybe when did we do our my hero episode that was last year yeah that was last year and the new season's coming out but i'm Partially because of Game of Thrones, I'm waiting till it's all done, right? Like, yeah. You know, just... <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, um, I guess. Uh, so of those, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give it to. I believe it was either the. It's either season four or season five. Season five of Game of Thrones. Um, uh, it's the one that ends with uh, with with uh, what's uh, with 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 John the. Dying? With, with, with the with the trial of um, Tyrion, that's season four. Okay, season four, yeah. Um, like that was like 
it's I think Game of Thrones kind of heyday. Um, it was like still when they were on the book material. I thought it was some of the most compelling television I'd ever watched. I said so at the time, um, and I saw it for the first time in 2019. So I'm going to take that liberty and give it to um, Game of Thrones season four. Um, that's that's my best TV that I have watched uh, this year. But unfortunately, I, I don't watch a lot of te- TV, so I can't talk a lot about it. Um, uh, so I'm going to uh, flip back to games and uh, uh, and talk about um, uh, the most innovative game I played this year, and that's got to go to Baba Is You. Um, uh, this is a tiny little game, a tiny little puzzle game um, about uh, about like playing with word structure, which is kind of like really like gets like not only is it a cool puzzle game, but it, like you know, playing around with linguistics is like something that really like uh, that, that really butters my bread, as it were. Um, and just like the the way you have to maneuver things, and like you know, the, the way like kind of the words interact with um, interact with like the puzzle solving and like the the motion, right? Like, not only is it figuring out what phrases you want to string together, but it's also like how do you move the blocks so that they they uh, they go together because it's kind of like a word puzzle and like a, a, bo- a traditional block push, pushing puzzle merged together into one um, with a lot of cleverness um, and a lot of coolness. And I just I, I just had a, a great time with it. I didn't finish like, another game. I, I didn't get around to finishing. But it's also the type of g- game that like, you know, just playing a couple different uh, puzzles um, makes you feel really smart when you get it done. So uh, I and I want to give that most innovative stamp to this uh, bright little gem. Uh, uh, Baba is you, yeah. Okay, uh, I think I'm gonna have to hashtag not sponsored, but also hashtag plug because we are publishing this game later in 2020. Uh, give this one to the upcoming title that i have played but you guys haven't uh called spinch spinch is a 2d precision platformer and um and i have to say that the weird thing about that game which by the way i'm terrible i'm absolutely god awful at precision platformers i have a sort of like theory that precision platformers sort of require like an investment as a kid otherwise you just like can't be good at them because i've just never ever ever been good at these games because i never played platforms platformers when i was younger um the uh, uh, the different gravity mechanics that go into uh, Spinch are are like really neat, but each of the different sort of like levels and like zones kind of has its own just like little thing that you have to deal with, right? Um, there's this like one bad guy called like a pill dog or whatever, and he just flies above the screen and every once in a while he drops a big bomb. And if you are not underground by the time the bomb goes off, you just die. And so like it it changes the way you need to move through level because now you're racing to get into an underground section. But like you sit in the underground section, and you're like, okay, is he gonna bomb? And then you wait and then he bombs and you kinda like keep going or whatever. Um, the worms that are all over the gameplay trailer video, uh, the whole last level is all about swapping gravity and kind of changing your platforming perspective from up to down. Um, you like enter this machine and it flips you over and then you are now running the level but upside down and it is honestly it's such a fucking it's such a mind fuck. There's no way I'm gonna be, ever be able to beat this game, but um, but that really inventive use of those mechanics I think uh, definitely qualifies as. Um, 
I don't know, just like as the the good stuff uh, that I definitely want to highlight about uh, about 2019. Uh, is it my turn? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, so this one, which, by the way, is a very close runner-up to the best uh, show of, uh, of 2019. This one is, like, the most, like, thought-provoking moment from anything, from TV, movies, games, just to make this easier for you, um, from, uh, from uh, 2019. So for me, and I've talked about it a couple of times on this podcast, but I honestly, I just rewatched the series again, and I'm just, I'm just back on my bullshit, Mango. The moment in Chernobyl where the two guys open the door to the reactor room and they look down into the radioactive meltdown of the Chernobyl reactor and then are dead less than 48 hours later is, I don't know why, but I cannot get it out of my brain like there's just so much to that moment that i can't i just like can't process like part of it is just the human failing right like obviously nobody ever should have been put in a position where they need to go look at the burning wreckage of the nuclear reactor in order to confirm that yes the we are we are witnessing the explosion of a nuclear reactor um, but part of it is just kind of like the existential horror of like rate you of like radiation. You can't see it; it doesn't do anything, right? But like the guy looks at it, he turns around, he leans up against the wall, and he just starts bleeding from wounds that like appeared out of nowhere. And there is nothing more haunting or terrifying than that. It haunts my dreams, Mango. So for that episode from the first episode of Chernobyl. 100%, you get it, you nailed it. That's that's it, that's it. Good job, 2019. Huh. So, this is, this is interesting, because things that, like, provoked thoughts from me is, 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 an, is an interesting uh, kind of way to put it. Um, I'm thinking I'm going to give it to... Uh, the lighthouse um uh and there's kind of like there's a moment i i i, I if i have to put it to, so it, it, it's not a super stable moment but um in the lighthouse there's a is like a point at which you're uns- like it, it kind of gets to the point where um the two characters are starting to go stir crazy and it's kind of hard to tell what's real and what's not and kind of trying to track where that was was very was i think fits well into this this kind of category right like considering the film as a whole like trying to figure out where everything went wrong and like where everything started to go to to go really nuts um is is tough to say the least um and uh just kind of like thinking over that movie and you know the movie had had some like weirdness to it like i I think i said before it wasn't it wasn't the greatest movie i ever saw but it's kind of like that kind of study of like descent into isolation based madness is uh is something that 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 kind of stuck with me even if i thought the movie wasn't wasn't the greatest so i i think i I have to give it uh have to give it to that um 
Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna give it to that. Okay, cool. Um, cool. Yeah. Um. Uh. So. Um. I. I I'm. Uh. So best. I, what am I gonna call this? Best. Um. Uh. Kind of. I'm gonna call it. Best. Uh. Competitive innovation. Um. In a game, uh, and I'm going to give it to Clash Mode in uh, in League of Legends. I'm trying to leave okay. it a little bit open. That way, you've got some room to work with. Sure. Um, um, but like, uh, Clash kind of brings the the tournament scene to your own home, right? Like, it kind of brings that esportsy experience um, into into onto your desk. And, like, in a way that you can participate in, right? And it's kind of, like, very heavy, like, research the other team, figure out what they're good at, and try and, like, play to that and play in, like, a hyper-competitive way that you don't get in, like, a ranked match, right? Like, you, you, you're not really scouting the other team in a ranked match. You don't have all that information. But Clash lets you do that. It lets you do it even, you know, regardless of skill level, right? And, you know, I'm not going to lie. It was frustrating for, for most of the time I played that game. But when it went well, it went... Well, and even in its frustration, it was still very compelling to be able to kind of like drill down into these other people and kind of like really feel it. And and uh, I think it's it, it was it's kind of like the the best way I've seen like bringing kind of that level of high level play to kind of like the average user experience. I mean, maybe average user is the wrong term, but like bringing that to um, the 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 home user experience rather, right? Like e- even other games that get hyper competitive that I've played, mm-hmm. like. Um, like fighting games, right? Like you never really, it, it's hard to kind of like dial into that hyper competitive nature unless you're like deep into the game um, in, a, in a way that like has a lot of like, you know, like uh, for fighting games, right? This is like not only understanding your matches, but kind of understanding a lot of like fiddly bits with frame data. And it's not like a thing that like you can kind of like transpose onto a person easily, right? It, I'm phrasing that weirdly, but like the, like, even just using the tools in the in the client, scouting the enemy team is doable. And because League of Legends has like a you know an infinite number of players, effectively, um, people have built tools that make it easy to kind of dig um, dig into other players' histories, and you can do that scouting. Um, and it it like I don't, I don't want to go so far as to say like it felt like I was in the LCS, but it definitely felt like I was. Um, I, I was I was at least kind of um, doing something that's kind of in the shadow of the LCS, if that makes sense. So I, I, I want to give big props to Clash for that. Okay, I would absolutely give big props to Clash as well. Uh, but barring that, I guess I just want to give it to the the general shift in design or in balance philosophy among the Hearthstone team. Um, it's weird to 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 be in the situation that we're in now. Um, but like last year. The the prospect of balance patches, like, not just, like, weeks, but, like, days after the release of an expansion when something is, like, overpowered or whatever, um, it would have been crazy, right? Like, if I told you, yeah, like, in 2019, they released an expansion, something's really broken, they patch it five days later. Um, and that's something that I think, like, d- deserves calling out. But the thing I'm really, I really want to call out is that they also did two other events 
in uh, in the year that at the time I didn't realize how cool they were, but in hindsight, I think that they were very interesting. Uh, the first one was the Rise of the Mechs event, which was like which was going back to an older set. They went back to the Boomsday Project set, and they specifically went and saw okay, like what are the weakest cards in this set, and they gave buffs to those cards, and all of a sudden the meta completely changed, right? Um, and, uh, and then later in the year, they did, uh, the Doom in the Tomb, uh, event, which is they selected a bunch of cards from Wild, like Ragnaros and Sylvanas and Varian Rin and stuff, and brought them all back into Standard for two months, right? Um, both of those had, you know, kind of, like, bad cases in the sense that, like, they overbuffed cards or they brought back cards that had, like, interactions that just, like, made it tough to play the game. And I'm sure there would be plenty of players that would criticize uh, the actual implementation of this stuff. But the interesting thing that I really enjoyed about this is that it shook up the meta not once, but twice, right? You essentially got the big meta shift of a new expansion hits, and then you got a minor meta shift two months later when new cards get introduced or changed. Um, and we all of a sudden get like a whole new sort of, uh, uh, look at what the metagame looks like. Something I've begun to realize about Hearthstone, and I think Hearthstone has begun to realize about itself, is that the game is very, very sensitive to shakeups, right? Nerfs, even very small, small nerfs will absolutely upend the entire metagame, um, sort of like overnight. And so by implementing these small changes in the middle of the year compared to, or like in the middle of the sort of four month window compared to the bigger changes, uh, they were able to do that. And so we, we essentially got like six or seven, you know, like fresh metas over the course of the year, which is not something that Hearthstone has ever had before. Um, since the since the nerfs to shaman, uh, we've seen a resurgence of face hunter, right? Like zoo warlock. Even the best deck in the game right now is like quest priest, which nobody was expecting at the when descent of dragons came out. Everybody was like, you know, fucking priest got hosed. It has the worst deck in the game, and all of a sudden it's just like tearing through people uh, with control and resurrection effects and stuff like that. Um, and so and so, uh, I want to give I want to give those shout outs to uh, that decision i guess among the hearthstone uh balancing balancing effort um okay uh the last category because we're running up on on time is uh i'm just gonna call this the like the like the appreciate what's the the participation trophy award this is not something that was exemplary or crazy in any other effect besides the fact that i just want to take a second to highlight it because it was pretty pretty, it was pretty good it did the job and i'm happy with that team or not team titans wow i was about to say team titans um (laughs) young justice Season three came out in the middle of this year. It started earlier in the year. The back half of the season came out uh, over the course of the summer. It's not amazing. It's not the best thing on television. It, uh, I, I would definitely say that it was worth my like DC Universe subscription, uh, but that's like five bucks, so it's not even all that expensive. Um, honestly, it is just good, solid television that has really solid stakes. The episode-to-episode drama works. The voice acting is, like, oddly terrific, and there are just some, like, real moments of brilliance in there that really just make me want to say, listen, you guys, you, you, you nailed it. You're not Mindhunter, you're not Chernobyl, right? But, like, what, what, what a good job in a, in a participation trophy sort of way. Good job, 
Brendan Olivieri and uh, Greg Weissman. I can't wait for Young Justice season four. What's uh, what's your answer for the participation trophy award? Um, I'm probably gonna give it to uh, Team Fight Tactics, um, a game that like I only occasionally play, but like you know when I want to fill some time with some like low stakes fun, Team Fight Tactics is good. Um, uh, so like I went back to it like a couple of weeks ago. Um, just for like uh, a lark, and they did a bunch of improvements. Everything looked kind of different, and the meta was really shaken up. Still, that kind of like things feel very luck based, and like how good you're doing is is heavily dependent on chance. In a way that like you know, I don't find myself super compelled by it, but it's fun. Um, and on top of that, it like has like no system requirements. When I was at home for the holidays, my uh, my my laptop. Um, doesn't really run games. I, I, I got a new laptop on Black Friday that has a touchscreen because I wanted to, to do that to kind of like use it as a tablet. Um, and, you know, playing Team Fight Tactics with a touchscreen, pretty neat. It's not perfect, right? Like, it's it's hard to like actually move your character around. Um, but, you know, you can kind of drag things out. Of the, like, 90% of the functions work well on the, on the, on the tablet. Um, and it's... Uh, it's it's good casual fun, and so good job team fight tactics for being neat is the way I'm gonna put it. So yeah. Participation award goes to team fight tactics. Okay, very cool. Yeah. Um well we're we're running up against time, but usually we do do we don't we usually do like the full hour and a half for uh Do we do the full hour and a half? I think for the derpies we do. Okay, fair enough. We can do the full hour and a half, I'm sure. Okay. Yeah, I mean, unless you really want to talk about your week. Uh, my week was just playing Total War Warhammer 2, as we've previously established. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, I do have some stuff to talk about, but uh, I'll, I'll bring it up as a category, let's say. Okay, sounds good. Um, so I guess that makes it my turn for a category, and uh, I want to do a best YouTube series. Um, and I'm going to give this specifically to uh, Best of the Worst. Um, from her letter media. Um, I really enjoy their whole channel, but like best of the worst consistently makes me crack up. Um, uh, the last few have been, have been really good. They did a, they did a Halloween one. Uh, they did a Christmas one with Macaulay Coke, uh, with Macaulay Culkin. Um, and, uh, there was one in between, I think that was, uh, 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 or no, there's one right before the, uh, the Halloween one, which was uh, like a, a wheel of the worst, but like I consistently laugh my ass off at these um, from from the ones like I, I just listed to like the, there's some classics with uh, you know uh, with, with like say like uh, the uh, the one about uh, the Neil Breen movies was was is a particular standout um, which was done with uh, not, uh, with with Max Landis you know all caveats about him aside but. Um, consistent entertainment. I look forward to it every time it comes out. It's an instant watch, um, and I, I can't say more uh, any, any anything uh, bad about it. It's just so much so much fun to watch, um, uh, because you know there, there's like with like I sometimes disagree with them about like uh, some of the their other uh, like the you know like their half in the bags. Um, or some of their other stuff, but like because it's such so low stakes and the movies are just like so bad and probably movies I'm never going to watch. Um, it, it, it's just like fun. It's, it's fun to sit through and, and enjoy and laugh along. Man, this is tough. I have so, like I watch so much 
YouTube. It's kind of like uh, like what's your favorite like YouTube show? Uh, what did I do last year for this? Because we did we did this last year, right? Did we? I I, I don't. I remember. feel like we always have highlighted like YouTubers. Uh, it might have been just YouTubers at that point. Yeah, um, yeah. maybe. Because uh, I feel like I gave it to uh, a YouTuber named Sideways last year. Um, Sideways is the guy who is a music theory guy, but he'll go right. through and he'll like uh, talk about you know like what makes different stuff great. Um, and the tough thing is that I want to give it to him again, but uh, but I feel like I should choose somebody else. Hey, and there's man, like a bunch of a bunch there are of no other... rules here. That's true. <laughs> I, know, I just want to like I don't know. I want to be like fair, which is a dumb way of putting it. Who put out good vi- like YouTube? Vi- oh, okay, uh, th- uh, th- I, this should be this is actually much easier than I thought. Um, I think the best YouTube creator over the last year that I want to highlight is Lindsay Ellis. She didn't actually put out that much this year, but the two videos that she put out back-to-back on Game of Thrones, we need to talk about Game of Thrones, I guess, and the last of the Game of Thrones hot takes, are so good and so clear about what is specifically bad and wrong about the end of uh, Game of Thrones that those two episodes elevate the you like she just gets so much credit for that essentially the other episodes that she did this year are all also pretty good uh her death of the author episode is actually like you should watch that one because we talk about death of the author sometimes um i felt like i was back in like college (laughs) listening to it um but she also did an episode on independence day when war of the worlds uh this the kind of story behind aladdin and robin williams um a uh, I don't know if I would call it a critique, but sort of like, uh, I guess I would call it a critique of woke Disney. And, uh, and the most recent one is how to get a book deal through like standard publishing means, because like, she's also publishing a book book next year. Um, those two Game of Thrones videos though, are really what I'm like harping on here. They are great, amazing, super good content. Um, and, uh, it's just like two hours of completely killing it when it comes to, uh, explaining why the ruiner that has been highlighted as the ruiner actually ruined things. Um, okay, cool. Uh, so the next category, what's the next category I want to do? Okay. Well, so the next category I'm going to call the, the rediscovery category. Um, I'm in the midst of this now. But, uh, but a couple of my friends here in Los Angeles have been getting back into Magic the Gathering. And so I was like, you know what? It's like the holidays. People's birthdays are like coming up soon. They're like, they're like around now. Um, and so I got some folks commander decks, EDH decks, uh, for their, uh, for their birthdays or for Christmas and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, you know, like I might as well get myself an EDH deck while we're at it. And, uh, boy, have I fallen down like that rabbit hole. I want to play edh so badly part of it is because uh the last time i played edh it was not like recognized by wizards of the coast right like they created commander decks a little bit after maybe like a year after i basically had stopped playing edh decks uh my edh deck got stolen which sucks um so i like lost my cards and that was kind of like the end of it uh but since getting back into it and taking a look at how sort of like wizards has changed first of all the power level of some of these cards is 
absolutely ridiculous compared to i mean i'm comparing it to 20 years ago which is probably unfair when i played magic sort of like at my hardest which was uh in the onslaught mirrodin days but just like it feels like the power level of uh of like current magic cards is just like ridiculous um especially some of these god cards could you what can you tell me about these god cards like there's the scarab god there's like stasa of the sea or whatever um and you like you mean the, the cycle of of the of, of the gods that like put themselves back in the deck when they die yeah 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 uh what about them do you did want they come to... from like a set or something like that yeah they are from um the, like i said there's a cycle of them i think I think they're from they're from like right around when arena was really getting going um i think they might be part of the egyptian set they might be part of the it seems like they're part of hour of devastation is where the scarab god is from okay um uh but yeah what what do you want to know i honestly about don't it? i don't know what i want to know about it uh my point is really that um the uh that the, i have been getting back into magic and part of that has been like oh hey look my my colors are blue and black i always like playing blue and black decks uh i especially like ninjutsu and it turns out there's a ninjutsu commander and that's just the coolest fucking thing in the world and all i want to do is make a commander deck using yuriko of the tiger shadow and ninjutsu and then as i started looking at blue black cards that had come out i was like holy fucking shit these things are so good and they're so much more powerful than some of the cards that uh uh, that I used to, you know, like that I used to play with. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so that's it. That's my, that's the, that's my like reawakened love of the year has been, uh, commander and magic, the gathering, even though, uh, I, you know, even if I still have hot takes about magic, the gathering, uh, notwithstanding. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to give it to, uh, uh, League of Legends, uh, because, you know, I hadn't played for, like, two or three years, and then on this very podcast, you mentioned Pike as a hero, and I was like, uh, that's, like, my jam, and I was right back in, um, you know, um, it's, like, I don't think it's, like, the, the, the greatest and most compelling thing, but it's definitely a thing that has a place in my heart that, like, I thought I just, like, had gotten past it, but playing it again, it's, it, I, st- I still love it a lot, right? Like, I still love, like, the team fights. I, I, I like playing around with it. Like I said, I did the Clash thing, and, it, and you know, for as frustrating as that could be, it was still super compelling. Um, and uh, I think I just have to, you know, say that, like, um, that it's, that it's 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 still it's still a game that that I very much enjoyed. I'm glad that to, to have gotten back into it and given it a, essentially a second chance. And you know, I, I might not stay with it forever, but it, it's a thing I could see myself boomeranging back to um, every once in a while. Kind of like how I do do with Magic: The Gathering, right? Like I go, I play Magic in like hard spurts for like a couple of months, and I let it lie for a couple of years. I could see the same thing happening to me with me for uh, for League of Legends. Um, uh, in a way that is, I think the base game is is uh, very very compelling. Um, uh, for the uh, next category, um, I'm going to do uh, I think uh, an, another you uh, or you know what I'm going to do I'm going to do best gimmick Twitter account because <laughs> uh, 
I consistently find myself. I have going, such a great answer for this, and it's going to be the best thing. Anyway, go for it. Yeah, my, mine's going to be uh, scrub quotes at, or uh, scrub quotes, which is at scrub quotes X, which is just uh, he, he doesn't even like comment on it, right? He just like takes quotes from people in various uh, uh, fighting games. Usually, fighting games. Sometimes it's League of Legends. Sometimes it's like Destiny or uh, or like. Fortnite or whatever, just people being salty about being bad, right? Like, um, this is kind of like the like the the classic kind of scrub scrub stuff, which is like you know, um, uh, uh, like like you know, like oh you're you're not you know like why are you being so cheap, right? Like why are you spamming, right? Like I would have won, but you're playing dishonorably type of stuff, which is like ah. Or like, you know, you have no skill. You just kind of like use this stuff. And then like the, the only commentary he ever kind of puts on it is like he'll quote something from the person. And it, this is all like post-match salt from like the, the defended player. And he'll like quote something from the player and he'll do like, uh, you know, like a uh, quote guy who lost, right? Like just like, you know, just like, you know, like. It's, it's just so much fun to go through and read every once in a while. It's these people that are so mad. Um about about being bad at these games it's 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 my favorite and it's i I find myself often just going to it and uh and reading to the the last batch of salty salty game players so yeah scrub quote sex that's a great one okay so this one listen it's gonna be really tough but uh we're, we're gonna get through this together okay so to bring you back maybe nine months ago i was just browsing twitter and a film critic who lives in la that uh that i follow retweeted something from an account called americana memes like at americana memes on twitter and they're called americana at brand memes now in glendale which is uh a a sort of not like a suburb but like just like us it's it's near la but kind of like how burbank or like pasadena it's actually between burbank and pasadena are like also near la that's what like glendale is right and in the dead center of glendale is this place called the americana at brand and it's like a very like ritzy and sort of like affluent kind of like outdoor mall area they have like fancy food fancy like clothes and like shopping and stuff like that but like i lived in glendale for my first year right and then eagle rock which is just south of glendale for my second year in los angeles i been to the Americana a gazillion times so I definitely understand the Americana and so I was reading all of these me and the and the specific retweet was the Americana at brand memes making fun of another uh another like outdoor mall in Los Angeles called like the Grove and I was like hey that's pretty funny so I started like following and then I started like going and like reading these Americana at brand memes and they are so fucking funny and they're such good uses of memes. I couldn't believe it. I was like, how did they get this incredibly proficient memer to like manage their Twitter account and get 11,000 followers by just like, you know, by, by just like tweeting out these incredibly esoteric memes that nobody, I recommend anybody who's listening to this, unless, unless you're like driving, I guess, go to that Twitter account page and just read some of the memes. I dare you to find them to make sense because 
they only do to people who have lived in like Los Angeles long enough, but they were just like so fucking funny. And I was like, you know what? That's like really clever branding from like the Americana, right? To like get somebody to just run this stupid Twitter account, making fun of the Grove and the Galleria and like other places or whatever in like Los Angeles. And then I find out the Americana at brands memes Twitter account is not affiliated with the Americana at all. They have their own Twitter account. That's like go to Din Tai Fung and you know, eat tasty ass dumplings or whatever. And it's like super like boring shit. This is some guy who just loves the Americana so much that he's willing to tweet multiple times per day, customized memes about it that only people in like this specific area of Glendale will understand and i just have to hats off to the americana at brand memes account whoever that person is you're doing god's work and i am so glad i found you yeah no that 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 sounds that sounds like a lot of that that, that sounds uh amazing (coughs) because i I see these pop up because you retweet them a bunch of like what i I have no idea what they're talking about but i'm I'm glad glad you're enjoying yourself I like I don't even remember the ones that I retweet because they're just like ah oh, they're just so good. Anyway, um next category woof. Uh okay, so the next category that I have um because I want to give something to to my to my lifelong love to my enslavement to Blizzard uh is the announcement I am most excited for in 2020. The announcement, uh, or I'm sorry, that was worded poorly. The announcement from 2019 about something in 2020 that I'm like most excited for or whatever. Uh, Obviously, the answer for me is Shadowlands. Uh, I probably have not put any more time in. I have not put more time into any video game except for World of Warcraft this year because I just like, it's a good game and it's fun and it's engaging and it gives me... That twinge of hope that my life is worth something, I guess. Um, but uh, but the but the thing I want to highlight about the Shadowlands announcement is the features that uh, that they're that they're that it's launching with, specifically Torghast Tower of the Damned. Uh, Torghast is a big giant tower where you ascend floors, and as you ascend the tower you gain and it it goes up infinitely but you gain like special power-ups so it's basically putting a roguelike like enter the gungeon or something like that inside of world of warcraft uh which i think is just very clever and super interesting and super fun but moreover than that i also am just incredibly excited to read the pre-patch leveling changes um the ability to level up through content like Mists of Pandaria um, or Warlords of Draenor or Cataclysm or Wrath of the Lich King kind of like all at once is really awesome. Um, And I think a good kind of step forward from, you know, the changes that they made to leveling in Legion. Um, So of all of the things that have been announced for uh, coming in 2020, that's the one that I'm definitely the most, you know, into. Yeah. Um, uh, so that, that, so that, that's compelling. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of off of World of Warcraft, so, you know, I'm definitely gonna be following along. I'm sure you'll, you'll provide us with updates when it happens. They just announced, like, the content patch is coming out. The last content patch is the last. yeah. Actually, uh, the content patch has the first version of this because they have these things called Horrific Visions, um, 
which are also sort of like a miniature kind of like it's not really a roguelike experience but um uh, as you complete them, you get a currency, and the currency helps you complete them better. So the expectation is, the first couple of times that you do it, you're gonna get you're gonna get wrecked. Uh, but the more you build up, uh, it's called like sanity because all of this stuff revolves around Nizoth um, uh, being like awakened from under Ashara's palace. Uh, the um, the the all of the you go insane inside of these like rifts or whatever and the more you do it the more resistance you get to it and like the more abilities you unlock and stuff like that um and uh, and they've also and they're also bringing out a new instead of titan forging which just says items have a chance to be like way higher in item level items now have corruption uh, the corruption mechanic is a super neat one. Basically, corruption afflicts you with a debuff, right? But it also increases the value of the weapon because it'll or because it'll say like you get four percent more critical strike rating or like four percent more mastery or something like that. That's the benefit of like having a corrupted weapon. But the corrupted weapon will also say like anytime a damage over time effect is applied to you, a copy of that effect is also applied to you or something like that and you have to level up your heart of azeroth to a certain amount um because it will provide you with resistance to that corruption to a point where you can wear corrupted pieces of gear and suffer minimal drawbacks or whatever so it's a neat way to allow people to kind of like infinitely upgrade their own items because you're getting corrupted pieces or whatever without having the version of things where like an lfr player is getting mythic level loot um because you know they just like happen to win a dice roll huh that that, that is super interesting um. Uh, yeah. That, so I, I guess it works kind of like like the, the the stacking thing. It sounds like it's kind of like the uh, uh, not 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 the corrupted thing, but the 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 horrific thing. Sounds like sounds like chromy stuff, right? Like that. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. It is a little bit like that. Um, if they pop up, it's kind of like assaults in Legion. You know, like they pop up every once in a while. And, uh, and I think you can do like one or two of them if you gather, like you, you need to like gather a currency and the currency buys you entrance in, and then you get a separate currency to like, uh, power yourself up to do them better or whatever. So like, hypothetically speaking, if you are, you know, uh, if you're like farming diligently, you'll get pretty good. Um, they are supposed to scale so that you can do them either in like five man group environment or solo. So that's another like interesting angle that I'm, uh, that I'm kind of, uh. I'm a little like, oh shit! Like, I wonder how that's gonna go. Cool. Um, well, for for my most, you know, uh, you know, thing I'm most excited for coming in 2020 is effectively what this is. Um, is got to be Cyberpunk 2077. Um, you know, it's just, uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's a cool property. The game looks fantastic. Um, you know, obviously, these guys, uh, the CD Projekt Red, does uh, excellent work. Um, Witcher Three was a lot of fun. Uh, I never finished it, but um, I thought it was—I thought it was pretty great. Um, and I'm super excited to see them uh, uh, explore the setting, um, especially because it seems they have like you know Mike Pondsmith, the the creator of of the Cyberpunk, the original Cyberpunk. Um, uh, I think it's Cyberpunk 2020, uh, or I, f- I forget what the, the the original date on it was, but um, the original creator is on board with them and is giving them advice and whatnot. Um, in in a way that like there was kind of some friction between uh, the Witcher creator 
and uh, CD Projekt Red. Um, and good news that apparently relationship has been fixed, and uh, there's there might the CD Projekt Red has unannounced plans for something else in the Witcher universe, which is a total other thing. Um, but uh, Cyberpunk twenty seventy just like there's been a ton of hype around it. It's got it's got Keanu in it, and you know. It, Whatever, but about celebrity worship, but he was great. He's been great in John Wick, and uh, uh, it, it looks super compelling. So you know, I'm that's that's the spring of this year. It's it's soon. Um, I'm just super hyped for uh, for for something uh, for something new. Um, yeah. Very cool. So, uh, do I have another category? I'm kind of running low on. I, I have my... another category. Uh, okay, go for it. We'll get, we'll get us the. So, um, I want to give this to the best performance in any circumstance uh, of the year. For me, this one goes to Eddie Murphy in Dolomite Is My Name, and it's for a specific reason why. And it's like part of this is that I'm like an, I'm not an actor guy. I took a couple of acting classes like in college to like get an understanding of it. Um, but like, you know, I have, I have never gone like super deep into sort of like the acting side of things. And so like compared to other folks, I tend to not see it when it's good acting in a way that other people do, right? Like I tend to see like the writing cause it's sort of what I'm trained in, but, uh, there is a sort of telltale sign that I always have an easy time identifying when I can tell like an actor is like really, really good. And it's when the super big name actors disappear into the part. You know what I mean? It's a common, it's a common thing for people to talk about, but I don't actually think it's all that common for it to happen. Even in like most of like the bigger budget movies, even for movies I love, right? Like, you know, like I love Aquaman, but I don't think Jason Momoa disappears into that part. Like at the end of the day, it's Jason Momoa. And I always see him as Jason Momoa or, Honestly, this is pretty pretty true for any of the big giant blockbusters, right? Like, when I see, you know, Oscar Isaac, I see Oscar Isaac. When I see, uh, like, Rise of Skywalker, when I see Gal Gadot, I see Gal Gadot. And that's fine. You know, it's, these are these are popcorn movies. I'll give them that break. They're not really here to, like, break down walls when it comes to acting. Fair enough. Uh, but for Eddie Murphy, who is a guy that is insanely recognizable, right? Like his pitch, his cadence, I could I could point any piece of writing to you and tell you that Eddie Murphy said that and you would immediately hear it in the Eddie Murphy voice because like that's how ingrained it is in your brain, right? And there are only a handful of actors who exist on that kind of a level, right? Like, people do this with Morgan Freeman in the obvious example. Um, but I feel like Eddie Murphy absolutely blocks, belongs in there. And the degree to which he embodies this character of Dolomite is absolutely, like, mind-bogglingly good for a guy of that caliber to sort of fall into it. Now, I will say that Dolomite is... Uh, not the biggest stretch for Eddie Murphy. He's not playing Hamlet. He is also playing a big, boisterous black comedian. So obviously there's a certain amount of overlap between, you know, kind of like his personality. But there's so much pathos and sympathy to be had for, uh, I can't even remember the guy's name, um, Rudy, uh, for the character of Rudy, that it just i it's something i really really wanted to highlight about 2019 just like what an amazing performance from Eddie, Eddie Murphy in that movie uh that's my top performance of 2019 what's yours oof so 
Hmm. I've got a couple. Um, I've got a couple of, uh, of thoughts in my head. Um, I think, I think, so this is going to sound stereotypical, but I, I think I'm going to give it to, I think I'm going to give it to Joaquin Phoenix for the Joker. Oh, um, that's a good one, actually. I would yeah. also well, think Joaquin Phoenix did a good job disappearing into the role. Yeah, no, he, uh, like, I don't know what it is about the Joker, <laughs> but it seems to bring out the best in some of these actors, right? Like, this similar thing happened. It, it, it killed, um, uh, well, I can't remember the, the actor's name, uh, in The Dark Knight. Um, uh, what the... What the, what's the actor? Help me, buddy. What was the actor's name? Uh, Brokeback uh, Mountain. Uh, uh, Heath Ledger. Heath Ledger. Yeah. Um, I don't know what it is about the character of the Joker, but it, but it brings out some some. Uh, it brings out some great performances, um, uh, out of people in a lot of unique ways, right? Like, because even even though like Heath Heath Ledger's Joker is very different than Joaquin Phoenix's Joker, but it still feels very much like the Joker. And maybe this is just kind of like a way that like comic book movies work where you can kind of disappear into the character even if it's a different version of the character than than has been played before um uh but like this year Joaquin Phoenix did an excellent job playing this uh damaged uh kind of person um in a way that like made him simultaneously sympathetic and while still maintaining kind of the, the, the villainous aspect um, in a way that like kind of felt weird with, um, with Thanos, right. Where like, it felt like they were, he was like, Thanos was trying to be too sympathetic for what was supposed to be a, a monster. Um, and so I think that like, I think that uh, Joaquin's Phoenix performance um, kind of, uh, not only like was it excellent, but it also kind of like helps to elevate this kind of comic book story medium in a way that we kind of talked about. But like um, doing what is essentially Taxi Driver in the superhero kind of format um, kind of bodes well for the genre of film moving forward in in a kind of way that that we just kind of don't see uh, with 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 other stuff like with these kind of lenses, if that makes sense. Um, uh, but yeah, Joaquin Phoenix did an, did an excellent job. I, I was gonna give a shout out to um, uh, to uh, to uh, freaking uh, it's the Martin Scorsese film. Why, why, oh, the why Irishman. Is, yeah, the Irishman. Yes. Um, I again, I, I don't think that movie was fantastic, but I thought um Joe Pesci's performance was very good. Um. I thought uh, uh, I, I thought Robert De Niro wasn't great, but I thought I thought it uh, I thought it worked well. Um, I thought I thought all the characters in in that in that movie did a a good job at, at acting. I was really um, surprised how good uh, Al Pacino. Uh, yeah, was. Al Pacino. Yes, he killed uh, it. I was like, I yeah. can't because I because I also saw him in something else this year where I was just like, Al Pacino, what the fuck are you doing? Um, where he was not great. Uh, Paterno, the the story of Joe Paterno at the um, Penn State. Um, yeah, yeah. And 
then in the Irishman, he had all this energy and he was so alive. Like, I don't know, maybe Joe Paterno was just like a really sleepy old man. Uh, but that's how, because that's how Pacino played him. But, he, was, uh, he was in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, too, wasn't he? Al Pacino. Uh, as, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. He was the producer at the very beginning of the movie. Yeah, yeah. Who tells uh, who tells Leo, Leo that he's uh, uh, that he's getting duped. Yeah, and like he goes from playing like Jimmy, or he goes from playing like a, a, a Jewish producer. I, I think he was supposed to be Jewish to uh, to like Jimmy Hoffa, and it just works fantastically. Like the Irishman was very well acted. Um, the problems I had with that movie were kind of like pacing and writing issues less and and uh uh the the people the people that that played that movie definitely gave gave it their all so um uh i wanted to highlight that as kind of like an honorable mention in this category so yeah um but i think that that has brought us to the end of our hour and a half unless you wanted to do another category uh i don't have any other categories off the top of my head i think we i think we got there i think we nailed it yeah all right well <laughs> good job yeah, yeah. um uh, well, if you'd like to tell us what uh, you think of uh, any of the categories we talked about uh, today um, or anything else that's on your mind, you can email us at simdurfsplaygames at gmail.com or podcast at simdurfsplaygames.com. You can follow us at twitch.tv slash simdurfsplaygames. If you donate to us on Patreon, you can rate and review us on all the different podcast services. Um, and uh, I think that's everything. Hi, Betty. Do you have anything else you want to promote? Uh, nothing. Uh, I have nothing I'm looking to promote. Uh, well, in that case, uh, until next year, dear listeners. Oof, yes, until next year. Happy New Year, listeners. <laughs>